Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book, The Rape of Nan King, The Forgotten Holocaust of World War II. During the Battle of World War II, in the Japanese-occupied city of Nanjing, China, posters were plastered in every corner encouraging unarmed Chinese civilians to return to their homes. The soldiers on the posters were depicted as being kind and generous, with illustrations of them embracing children of civilians and distributing food to those in need. The posters read, Come home. We will give you food. Trust us. We will save you. However, when those thousands of citizens eventually returned to the city, what awaited them was brutal torture. Some of these unsuspecting and defenseless people were cut open or nailed to tree trunks and sliced like meat. Even more appalling, some were sprayed with gasoline and then shot at, while others were forced to sit naked on the hot coals from stoves. Some of the victims had acid thrown at them until their skin began to erode, and others had their organs directly eaten by the Japanese soldiers. As if this weren't horrific enough, an even greater number of people of Nanjing were raped, buried alive, shot to death, and treated like mice for various experiments. Many missionaries who had eyewitness accounts of this human tragedy claimed that they saw hell for the first time. This tragic massacre occurred in 1937 and is known, historically, as the Nanjing Massacre. What took place in Nanjing that year can only be compared to the horror that also was to take place in Auschwitz, yet many people know little about the former. One reason accounting for the lack of knowledge is the fact that, unlike Germany's sincere apology and several confessions, Japan denies the existence of the massacre, and Nanjing receives no formal apology or compensation from Japan to this day. Despite the considerably overwhelming evidence that exists today, Japan still turns a blind eye, unable to look history in the face. They not only conceal the truth and attempt to rewrite history, they even glorify the events as a holy war that took place out of compassion for their neighbors. To uncover the truth behind this holy war and objectively investigate the causes and consequences of its occurrence, this bookie will be divided into the following three parts. Part 1, A Light in the Darkness, Half Killed, Half Protected. Part 2, Trial and Deception, Waiting for Justice. Part 3, Reasons and Lessons, Learning from History, to Avoid Repeating Mistakes. Part 1, A Light in the Darkness, Half Killed, Half Protected. In late November 1937, the Imperial Japanese Army successfully captured Shanghai, China, and three battalions advanced along different paths towards Nanjing. The leader of the 1st Battalion was Nakajima Kasego. In Japan's Imperial Conspiracy, the author David Bergamini describes him as a small himmler of a man, a specialist in thought control, intimidation and torture. Kimura Kinonori, the biographer of Nakajima, labeled him a beast. The leader of the 2nd Battalion had interestingly been a devout Buddhist by the name of Matsui Iwane. The emperor's uncle Asaka Yasuhiko soon replaced his position after Matsui was promoted to commander-in-chief of the entire Central China Theater. Due to Asaka's status as a member of the imperial family, he became the supreme commander of the Nanjing Front. The third and final battalion was led by Yanagawa Heisuk, known as the masked commander for having never appeared before the public eye. Chiang Kai-shek, leader of the Chinese Nationalist Party or Kuomintang, was faced with a difficult decision, to stay and defend Nanjing or retreat to safer grounds. 
The fall of Shanghai delivered a crushing blow to Chang, bringing to his attention the brute strength of the Japanese army and the inferiority of the Chinese army, despite its large size. After all, the number of Chinese troops stationed in Shanghai at the time was ten times that of the Japanese marines. Despite Chang having sent the most elite troops to the battle, Shanghai fell in only three months. In the end, after several high-level military meetings, Chang called on his subordinate Tang Xingqi to stay in Nanjing while he led the remaining subordinates to move the capital to a safer place. The Japanese army fleetingly broke through Nanjing city walls. Amidst the successive losses at Nanjing city gate, Tang Xingqi received even worse news, Chiang Kai-shek directly ordered a large-scale retreat of Tang's men. At the time of receiving the order, many of the troops were fighting fiercely with the Japanese army and were unable to retreat. Shortly after, another telegram came from the commander-in-chief, asking Tang to retreat while he still could and preserve his force's strength. Helpless, Tang had no option but to order a retreat. Due to the chaotic state, many officers fled without even telling their subordinates. When the unknowing gatekeepers encountered the retreating army, they mistakenly thought it was large-scale desertion, and the two sides immediately got into a fight. As the order to retreat spread around, the soldiers began flooding to the pier, fighting each other for a spot on the only ferry. A fire had also broken out on Zhongshan Road, igniting piles of ammunition. Countless soldiers either died in the fire, fell to their death, were trampled to death, or drowned. The 90,000 soldiers who fled hopelessly chose to surrender after being persuaded by the Japanese army that promised the preferential treatment of prisoners of war. Lacking a sufficient amount of food to feed those who surrendered and ruthless in their intent, the Japanese army slaughtered them all. Nanjing is now left, completely unprotected. On December 13, Japanese troops swarmed into the city. They ruthlessly occupied buildings, looted shops, burned down houses, and slaughtered residents. Cold-blooded and armed with machine guns, groups of 6 to 12 men roamed the city, shooting unarmed elderly residents, children, and anyone too weak to escape. Soon, the bodies of civilians piled up and were seen scattered throughout every block. Could there possibly be a military purpose for the Japanese army to take such actions? That doesn't seem very likely. When the author Iris Chang interviewed survivors in 1995, she learned that the Japanese killed for their amusement. Tang Shunsan, a survivor of the Nanjing Massacre, witnessed with his own eyes how Japanese soldiers treated the killing of innocent civilians as a competition. Together with hundreds of other Chinese, he was forcibly led by a group of soldiers to a large pit. After seeing dozens of Chinese corpses scattered at the bottom and piled on top of each other, Tang thought that he too would be buried alive or killed on the spot. To his horror, the Japanese soldiers began forming teams and competed to see which team could kill the fastest. One soldier was responsible for guarding and preventing the prisoners from escaping, while the remaining eight formed teams of two one member responsible for beheading, and the other responsible for picking up and stacking the heads. The soldiers laughed loudly and shouted, Kill and count. Kill and count. Tang soon had a near-death experience when the Japanese soldiers beheaded the man right next to him. The victim's body hit Tang's shoulder, causing him to fall along with the body into the pit without being noticed. Shortly after, Japanese soldiers began to change their tactics and began to execute victims by cutting their throats to be more efficient. Corpses with their heads still intact began to fill up the pit, so Tang was able to escape the fate of death. 
after the killing spree had continued for an hour, a Japanese soldier finally ensured all the victims were dead by stabbing each body in the pit with his bayonet. Tang miraculously withstood five stabs without making a sound. In the end, he was the only survivor of this killing contest. This example was not the only killing competition of its kind. The Japan Advertiser reported another more famous killing match. Two Japanese lieutenants took part in this competition, Mukai Toshiaki and Noda Takishi. The two were competing to see who could kill 100 people before Nanjing was completely occupied. The media followed and reported this event like a sports match. On December 7, a report was published titled Sub-Lieutenants in Race to Fill 100 Chinese Running Close Contest. The report described the competition as a friendly match, keeping count of the number of kills each side made to represent their score. A week later, the Japan advertiser wrote an appalling report beneath photos of the two, stating that they could not determine a winner because both competitors already exceeded the upper limit of 100 people. Mukai had killed 106 people, while Noda killed 105. The report claimed that since it was impossible to determine who killed 100 people first, the two would raise the target to 150. Mukai, who was slightly ahead, declared that the contest was fun. In addition to killing competitions, the Japanese army also invented several new ways to torture victims. Here we will only list a few of them. One common form of torture was burying people alive. The Japanese soldiers quickly created a detailed and efficient live burial process that essentially resembled how a factory works. They forced the first group of prisoners to dig the graves, after which the second group of prisoners was made to bury the first, the third group would bury the second group, and so on. Sometimes, the soldiers would deliberately bury them halfway up to their chest, then order the German shepherds to maul the victim. They would also chop the victims into pieces with a bayonet or run them over with tanks. Incineration was also a popular method with the Japanese soldiers. They even created games with fire for their amusement. They would force people to the roof of the building and demolish the stairs. Once the victims were stranded, the soldiers would light a fire on the first floor and watch them commit suicide by jumping from the roof. They also enjoyed watching the flames engulf the victims. Some Chinese prisoners were even eaten by their captors. The Japanese believed that eating human genitals could enhance one's virility. Soldiers would remove the genitals of male captives and sell them to Japanese customers, while other soldiers carved out the hearts and livers of victims and ate them. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.